0: chapter 9. We'll continue our series called Life, looking at the Gospel of John, and we're going to read all of the chapter together. Uh, But first let me lead us in prayer, asking for God's help in understanding this tonight. Lord, we know that all creation declares your glory, the skies proclaiming the work of your hands day after day, pouring forth speech night after night, displaying knowledge. In creation, we hear your voice. In creation, we see you. But we pray with thanksgiving tonight that you have given us more than just this general revelation. You have given us the very special revelation of your holy words that you have spoken clear words, words which unstop deaf ears, words that give sight to the blind. Indeed, commands. That are yours, that are so radiant they give light to our eyes. Let it be so tonight, we pray, for all of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read John chapter 9 together, reading from verse 1. As he, that is Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I have the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man, they called Jesus, made some mud and put it in my eyes. And he told me to go wash, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, "He is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Well, we know that he we know he is our son. The parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Amen. Well, 65-year-old Tatini was blind and seemingly without hope. She lived in the, the Himalayan mountains of Nepal, uh, where there are no doctors, there are no hospitals, no treatments. And the film crew of the BBC documentary series Human Planet capture clips of her very careful, stick-aided steps along some pretty precarious and uneven mountainside path. And it's a very, very sad and hopeless scene. Hopeless that is until Dr. Ruit from Kathmandu arrives with medical staff and surgical instruments in tow. They operate on Tatini and others in the villages around who are blinded by severe cataracts, mainly because of the altitude and exposure to the sun's rays and most remarkable part of this documentary, as Tatini was having her bandages unwrapped from her head and removed from her eyes. As the doctor unwinds the bandages, Tatini squints a little bit at first when the last section of the bandage is taken off. That's a good sign. And he says to her, look at me. Do you see? She said, I see your nose and Dr. Ruit says, can you touch my nose with your finger? And with joy in her face. Bingo, first time. Wasn't that great? Great thing to see. And then a great thing to see. Immediately the the camera shot moves from this rather tense moment. Will she see? Will she not see? To this point where there are four or five of these 65-year-old women dancing around in their Nepalese way. And then it cuts again to her as she says moments ago I couldn't see and now I can. My heart is filled with light. Oh, that was a tear jerker if ever there was one. I was trying to hide my face from Catherine, the man of the house, I do not cry, but what a picture it was of the gospel. What a picture it was for me just of what Jesus Christ does for us all as, as Tatini seeing with new eyes the very face of the one who had given her sight and had restored to her, given her new life. It was for me such a stark reminder of the gospel and it took me straight to John 9. Which was easy because this is my daughter's favorite Bible reading. Apart from Goliath apparently, it changed today. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't you believe it? Um, But she loves it, and I know the story well, and and it's it's a remarkable picture for us. And I thought as as I watched the rest of that documentary, wouldn't wouldn't it have been absolutely amazing to have camera lenses and microphones and and a film crew around to watch this blind beggar in John 9 wash his face in the pool of Siloam? to squint at first as, his, as this first experience of light invades his eyes, travels along his opti- optic nerves, registers in his brains as he sees this is water. <gasps> These are hands! And then everything else around him. Wouldn't it have been just the most thrilling thing to see? What amazing feeling it must have been for one who was born blind. To see with new eyes the face of the Savior, Jesus Christ, in the light of the world. And let's remember, that's just what we've been thinking about in our John series as well. Jesus has has stood up and declared that he is, in in John uh, 7, I'm water for the thirsty. And he has stood up in, in John 8 and said, I am the light of the world. And how how great it is to then come to a text where we see what it means for him to be that light and to show this man who was once completely in darkness looking into the face of the Savior Jesus Christ it's precious here's what I want us to see uh, as we go through this text tonight first of all if you're taking notes uh, verses one to seven number one the sign is God's glory on display Number two, the significance in verses 8 to 34 of spiritual blindness on display. And then thirdly, the solution, what is really needed in verses 35 to 41, belief in Jesus, the Son of Man. And then I'll apply it in two ways. First, for those of you who may be here tonight who are not Christians and don't yet believe in Jesus, and then secondly, for the church. So number one, the sign, verses 1 to 7. This man, essentially, we could say, is blind for God's glory. It starts, the whole scene starts with one of the disciples posing Jesus a very deep theological question. You see that in verses one and two, they're asking, who's responsible for this man's blindness? Is it him? Has he sinned and therefore caused this? Or had his parents sinned and therefore that caused this, that he ended up like like blind as he is. But Jesus' response in verse three highlights that they're missing a very significant point on this occasion. And the point is very simply this, God is in this, that God is in this, that God is sovereign and he has a hand even in this man's blindness. Why? Well as it says, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now that's quite a remarkable thing to read, that's a very significant thing. Because the point Jesus is making is not that suffering didn't come into the world because of sin. We know quite plainly from Genesis chapter 3 that it did. But the actual point that Jesus is making here is that he is sovereign, even to the extent that he is sovereign over our suffering, and can use these situations even for his greater good so that he may be glorified. And we're not going to dig into this tonight because we just don't have time but I believe in passing I would like to say that's a momentous verse for any of us who have struggled with suffering or will do. For any of us who have cancer for any of us who have disabled children for any of us who have miscarried that is a significant verse. But Jesus is teeing this whole thing up for us. This happened. The reason why this man was born blind this happened so that The work of God might be displayed in his life. And here's where we get ready for the display. Jesus says in verse 5. Now, remember, Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. He now makes some mud. He puts it on the man's eye, says, go and wash. Now, that clearly takes some faith on the part of the man born blind. I mean, what is it that you cannot see? And you hear this conversation going on in front of you. Oh, they're talking about me like I'm not here again you know how your parents used to do that when you were younger i think that's exactly what's happening here with this man people no doubt he was the object of ridicule people would be thinking these things he's a sinner look at that he must have done something terrible to end up like that people talking about him in his presence what must it have been like to hear this man respond this this all this happened so that god could be glorified what and then to maybe hear him jesus kneel down in front of him and the spit on the ground, we think that's rather gross, but interesting. He, he, he spits on the ground, makes some mud, kneads the mud, and puts some on his eyes. It's an interesting scene. How would you feel if you were blind in that situation, and someone came up to you and just started putting things on your eyes that were made partially from spit? You would not be impressed. He goes. He takes Jesus at his word. He, he heeds his instruction. God's glory is maybe ringing in his head, thinking, if I... If I go to Siloam, am I going to be is this going to be glorifying to God? He goes, takes that faithful step, washes. No camera crew, but we see he came home seeing verse seven. It's an incredible thing to see. what a glorious, miraculous thing that Jesus is able to do, as Andy has already highlighted for us. Uh, As he led the service, Jesus, who, well, we will see shortly, who can with a shout raise a dead man to life. With a word of power, take a man who was lame for 38 years and tell him to pick up his mat and walk. Jesus can perform such miraculous signs. And those signs accent and emphasize and confirm for us the very words that he says when he says, I am the Messiah. I'm the king, the one promised of old that God said he would send. And these are the signs that confirm it. It's a call for faith on our behalf. Do we believe him? Will we believe the witnesses that we will see shortly? I wonder if you can imagine the man's disappointment when his neighbors find it easier to believe in verses 8 to 12 that the blind man had just disappeared and that the man in front of them was just someone who bore an odd resemblance. Isn't that funny? Funny that he looks just like that beggar. And you can hear the man. I'm I'm the man. It's me. I'm the same man. What do I have to do to convince you? But here's where we see the real significance of what's going on. In verses 8 to 34 when the man is brought in before the Pharisees and here's where we see so so clearly their spiritual blindness and as we walk through this you'll see this I hope really quite clearly you have set up for us the the spiritual blindness on the Pharisee as one track and then right alongside that the twin track of that the the progressive seeing and the eyes of faith indeed of the man who was blind but who can now see So in verses 13 to 17, they call the man in, okay? And they quite simply say, Jesus is a sinner. Oh, Sabbath breaking. He's done it again. Our law says that if you break the Sabbath, therefore you must be a sinner. And the Messiah, well, he's surely not a sinner. So de facto, since he did this, he must not be this. Well, that starts off a bit of a debate, Even to the point where they say, verse 17, who do you say he is? Which is an important question for all of us. A question we must all answer. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, well, he's a prophet. Which is an interesting progression, isn't it? Because look back with me to verse 11. When people were demanding of him in verse ten, How were your eyes opened? Verse eleven says, The man, he calls him a man, the man they call Jesus did this. And now, maybe the truth of this is starting to sink in a little bit more for him as every piece of light and information invades his eyes and fills his head with an awareness that he is as it sinks in truly, he has been healed. The man replies, He is a prophet. He is concluding no man, no mere man could do this and he's right well then they start to discredit his testimony don't they we don't believe you let's get his parents in let's get his parents in it reminded me of my days at school just to confirm what is true or otherwise let's get the parents in and they call him in was he born blind then? But did you notice the way they even asked that question? Is this your son, the one you say was born blind? So they're giving themselves a little bit of rope in order to hang them as well as him. Such is the wickedness, sadly, of their hearts. Is this the one you say was born blind, hinting at their doubt? How is it that he can now see? Well, the interesting thing is that they corroborate uh, his testimony, don't they? Verse 20, we know he is our son. There's one question answered. We know he was born blind. There's a second question answered. But then the pivotal question, how is it that he came to see? They don't know. So their testimony basically establishes that a miracle has truly taken place, but then they shrink back a little bit in some sense. Maybe this is the first time they've actually seen the man, their son, who can now see. Maybe and they're they're... It's a shame, isn't it? If that is the case, they may be fearful of engaging in this man's joy and rejoicing in the fact that their child can see. Wouldn't you be happy if your child had been blind for such a long time and they could then see? How would you feel if some seemingly religious zealots stopped you from participating in that because you were scared of them? Because I think that's what's going on here. The threat for them is that they were going to be put out of the synagogue, which I don't know how to describe that really for us. It's it's almost the equivalent of losing your, your job, your your driver's license and becoming declared bankrupt or something all in the same day. There's there was very much a case where if you were put out of the synagogue back in those times, you you had you had no social standing. You could not trade. You were getting ready for a life of poverty. and don't even think about moving because we'll send word with you. You know, it, it was that bad. So the the Jews, the religious leaders at this time have said, anyone who says that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, in other words, the very person he was claiming to be, you're going to be put out of the synagogue. You're going to be ruined. Those are bad tactics. They call the man in again, verse 24 and following. And the first thing they say to him, give glory to God, they said, which is reminiscent of Joshua chapter 7, where Achan has sinned, is hiding some plunder in his tent, not telling anyone about it. But he is called to tell the truth by Joshua and the elders. So they say the very same thing. This is a solemn charge for them, for, the, for this man. And this was a solemn charge for them to make. They know exactly. They think they are high and mighty. They think they are the ones in a righteous position here. Give glory to God, they say. Tell the truth. well it's pretty incredible pretty incredible indeed we know this man is a sinner they say verse 25 whether he is a sinner or not I don't know one thing one thing I do know I was blind I was blind, but now I see. They're not happy with that. Again, what did, he, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? <laughs> I love this man. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Can you imagine how that went down? Wow. Well, they persisted. <laughs> Despite the power of the man's testimony They show up for themselves By their reviling of him By their poor shepherding of him These are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel Who care for the sheep Who care for men like this And all that they are doing there They are declaring his true testimony To be nonsense They start, they start attacking his person They revile him You are steeped in sin at birth. True. The problem with that statement is that they do not think of themselves in that way. And as the conflict progresses, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. The blind beggar is seeing reality more and more clearly. And the Pharisees are seeing truth and reality less and less. As I've said, the beggar moves from seeing Jesus as the man, verse 11, to seeing him as a prophet and will shortly fall before him in worship. But the Pharisees are just moving in the opposite direction, claiming if anyone should confess Jesus, he'll be ruined. This man, Jesus, is a sinner and then reviling him. All of this serves to show us, friends, okay, we need to get this, that spiritual blindness is a far more serious condition than physical blindness those who truly have eyes to see can say that the experience of john 1 14 is theirs we have seen his glory the glory as of the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth and that is exactly exactly what the blind man saw But sadly, that's what the Pharisees did not see. Which is why this chapter ends with blindness, just as it began, but essentially of a worse kind. They're only confirming their unbelief and showing God to be just in his condemnation of them. The man is kicked out. What happens next? Is that, is that a sad thing? Is that him ruined? I mean, this was supposed to be the happiest day of his life. Well, let's see what happens as we see the true solution to our spiritual blindness. In verses 35 to 41, I love this. I love this, that that the shepherds of Israel, the bad shepherds, have essentially booted this man out. And who is it that comes to seek a lost sheep? Jesus Christ. No mistake, I believe that before John chapter 10 where he will stand and declare before all, I am the good shepherd. I love it. I love that Jesus seeks us. I love it that this man has an opportunity now that he has his sight. Even as he thinks, now I can work, now I can worship. I'm not going to be seen and spat on as some kind of sin-soaked beggar. So now he's been given new life, but then that just all gone to pot. Jesus seeks him out like a good shepherd, finds him, and then leads him into the truth. And this is what Jesus does with us: He seeks us out, he to reveal himself to us. And this is what he does to the man. I mean, what, ask the question: What is the what does Jesus ultimately want this man to see? He's just opened his eyes for him, but what precisely is it that he wants him to see? Well, he doesn't just want the man to see creation or to see trees or the face of his mother or the sunrise though to this man all of those things i'm sure will be glorious jesus wants the man to see jesus for who he truly is the son of man of daniel 7 jesus heard that they had thrown him out and found him he said do you believe in the son of man is a first question first question This is what the healing is all about. This is where God's glory is about to be truly displayed, even greater sense than the miracle of physical sight being given. Because the Son of Man, referred to in Daniel 7, is the one, the promised king, to whom God gives authority and glory and sovereign power, the one who is to be worshipped as God Almighty. Because his dominion is everlasting and will not pass away. Maybe the man just a little bit cautiously just wants a bit of confirmation. I think he thinks it's Jesus. Who, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Imagine these words. You have seen him. In fact, let me be super clear for you. He is the one speaking with you. Imagine this man seeing with new eyes the very face of God. What an incredible thought. The man's response in verse 38 is the response that we should all make as we come with eyes of faith to behold the very face of God. Lord, I believe. He put his faith in him. He believed in Jesus Christ and he worshipped him that is fitting (laughs) fitting response to coming face to face with the lord and creator of all the universe this is the whole point of the story jesus christ the one who came two thousand years ago the one who is not only testified about in the annals of history in these great and sincere historical documents that we have in our scriptures but there are Roman and Jewish historians who testified to the very same, actually even testifying to the fact that this man, Jesus, opens the eyes of the blind. And does miraculous things. Jesus Christ does the work of God. And through this we are supposed to see Jesus Christ is the glory of God on display. So Hebrews 1 tells us that. And Jesus Christ, it is right. It is not wrong. It is very, very right to fall at his feet and to worship him as God and king. Because that's exactly who he is. The man got it. He got it. He got exactly the reason why Jesus came. And I pray that tonight we would get it if we are not believers. To get that this is the reason why Jesus came. This is the reason why John has written his gospel. That we may see and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And by believing have life in his name. New life in him. So my application for tonight is, is twofold. As I mentioned earlier. One, for those of you who are here tonight who are not Christians. And wouldn't say you were a follower of Jesus. And secondly, for the church. First of all. My appeal to you tonight, if you're here tonight, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, is this, do not, do not turn a blind eye to this. That's a saying that's used, of course, to describe those times when a person ignores unpopular or inconvenient facts. It's believed to be a saying sourced in the incident in the the life of Admiral Nelson, who was blind in one eye in 1801 during the Battle of Copenhagen, his fellow admiral and overall command of the British fleet sent a flag signal to Nelson's ship and giving him the order to withdraw but when this was brought to Nelson's attention in defiance lifted his telescope to his blind eye and said I really do not see the signal and his ships continued on and I think that we can respond to the truths of this text tonight with the very same defiance. This text highlights something so similar for us. In this text, we see a kind of blindness that is that's not innocent, actually. It's rooted in willful, conscious, intentional rebellion against the very light of God that is on display for us to see in John chapter 9. It's a moral spiritual blindness it's not a physical one it's just say you know i yep i read the words but i just do not see the light of the world in here i do not see any kind of call to repentance and faith what a silly book but it's a willful blindness to something so clear that's rooted in the truth that jesus has actually already shared in john 319 that we turn a blind eye because well we love the darkness we love our way of life we love whatever it is that is contrary to coming to faith in Jesus Christ and living for him so for the Pharisees it was their religion we love this we love this practice of religion we love the pride of place that we have because of our religion and our practices we love that more then we love Jesus more than we love God. We are not willing to receive his son as our savior and as our Messiah because we love this. Now you can exchange the this for anything you want. I like my freedom. I love it more than Jesus. I love the reputation that I'm building up more than Jesus. I love the bank account that I am building up and enjoy doing so even if it means doing a few dodgy deals here and there more than I love Jesus. I'm not willing to give this up for this. But I think what we see in this text is that knowing that turning a blind eye does not diminish our guilt or remove our accountability. Instead, by refusing to come to him, we cement ourselves in our own guilt and in doing so, simply show God's judgment of us to be just and true but the good news is there's a fork in the road at the end of this message there are essentially two ways to respond to Jesus as he comes to offer to heal our spiritual blindness and offer new eyes to see him well the first thing that you can do again as I've said is just do nothing and if you don't If you're here, you don't believe in Jesus. Don't be mistaken by thinking that you actually need to commit some scandalous sin in order to put yourselves at odds with him. Jesus has already said, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So you need only do nothing. You need only sit still. You need only go out and hear thinking nothing about this but just thinking about whatever it is you want to think about. Or you can do as the blind man did with faith, go, wash, and come home seeing. Take Christ at his word when he says what he says in the first half of verse 39 and believe in Jesus for judgment. I came into this world that those who do not see may see the light of the world came to give us such sight so go to Christ now confess your sin wash yourself in the blood that he shed in order to make forgiveness possible for you and reconciliation with God possible for you and come home seeing with new eyes the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ You can do that by singing our closing song. But before we sing that, I I, I believe we're often speaking tonight in these evening services largely to the church, to believers. And I believe that this, there is a closing word for the church in this. We are a seeing congregation according to this text. We are a people who have seen the light of the world and who have truly responded accordingly and we are told that God has made his light truly to shine in our hearts. We're told this in 2 Corinthians 4. We've already been told in that text before we come to this that in, in the case of the people of this world, the God of this world, the devil that is, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So again, people who, aren't, who don't believe in Christ are blind that's the gross majority. 98% of the people in our city are like that. And the work of God is needed in their lives so that they may be given eyes to see. But listen to the solution to this blindness the agency of this, this light being channeled to them. God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, had made his light shine in our hearts. Whose hearts? Our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Be clear in what that text says. That light is our possession now. That light is our possession. Then what are we to do with it? Well, I think God sends us to open eyes. God sends us as his human agents to open eyes. Look back with me at chapter 9 and verse 4. And don't miss this. As long as it is day, we, we, we must do the work of him who sent me. It's not just Jesus saying, I, I alone must do the work. No, we. He's talking to his disciples. We must. The church must. The true followers of Christ must do the work of the Father who sent Jesus to be the light of the world. We must share that light and share it well. Remember Titini? Back at the start of our sermon, the Nepalese lady who was blind. You know, she could not get to that doctor on her own. Do you know she actually needed a man, a friend of the family, to carry her 10 kilometers on his back. On his back. Well, I believe we are to do the very same. We are to carry our brothers and sisters, our family members who don't know Jesus, our friends, our colleagues, and carry them as much as we can to behold Jesus Christ. Take them with our gospel words. Carry them with our gospel conduct that they too may have that opportunity to see Jesus Christ for who who he truly is as the light of the world. And I believe we take this light and do with it the same as what Jesus told Paul to do with it when he appeared to him on the Damascus road. He said to him, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. And he says simply, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus says to his disciples, and I believe he says to us, I am sending you, you who are believers, to open their eyes. And are we ready to obey that call? Will we fill our mouths with gospel words this week and speak freely? This is what I find myself praying for more and more. Lord, let us be a church that is filled with a passion to open the eyes of the blind. Let it be so for your glory. Let's pray.